I'm going to be sharing out of Psalm 73. If you'd like to find that in your Bible, I've also asked Vicky to put it up on the audiovisual if you don't have your Bible. It's an amazing psalm. I, lo- I love the psalms. I love the honesty of the word. And uh, the, sometimes I have felt like this psalm. And I'm going to, the title of my message this morning is, Nevertheless, I'm constantly with you and you hold my right hand. It's taken from this psalm, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. So I'm going to read the psalm, the whole thing through, make some comments out of it, and then we're going to enjoy some more worship together. But verse 1 says this, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. That's the theme of this amazing piece. Surely God is good to Israel and to all those who are pure in heart. Can I just ask you to say that over yourself? It's always easy to say, surely God is good to everybody else, but actually God is good to me. Amen? He's good to me. Stephanus, God is good to you, but not just to everybody else, He's good to you. Mario, God is good to you. His favor is upon you. Chitty, on you. On all of us, His favor rests upon us. And let's not be those always just saying it's true of everybody else, but realize it's true for us. God is good. Surely God is good to all of us. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant, the prosperity of the wicked. Anyone ever felt like that? A little bit of honesty here. I've felt like that many times in my life. Just think, God, this is so hard. It seems like the wicked prosper, the wicked get richer, the wicked get all the pleasures of the world, and we serve you, and it seems like sometimes it's, it's too hard. Anyone felt like that? Cheapers, I can't get this thing on my ear. It's because your ears are so small. It's all bent out of shape from last week. It's your fault. See, that's sin, you see? Sin always blames someone else. Just need, to hook on my, just need to hook it on my glasses, my glasses. Right, there we go. Fine. Thank you. You can hear? Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Doesn't it amaze you, the wicked, they, they don't have any sense of shame or guilt about anything. They just get on with it. Man, I find it it's incredible. This is, this is my favorite psalm at the moment. Therefore, <laughs> their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice and their arrogance, in their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore the people turn to them and drink the waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Gee. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I'd said, I will speak this, 
I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This beautiful statement of faith. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Amen? God is always with us. He holds us by our, our right hand. You guide me with counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Yes, please. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me... It is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. Doesn't that just encourage you reading it? Okay, well, it's only me, but it encourages me. No end. I love the English Standard Version as well because it, it's, its language is uh, so descriptive. When it's in, in, the, in the middle part there, it says this, their eyes swell out through fatness, their heart overflows with folly. It's like they're so self-indulged and that their eyes are popping out because their face is so fat. Describing the wicked. Don't you love that? Okay, all right. I think it's quite funny. It's quite descriptive. The Bible is always honest. This is called, it's, a, it's an amazing psalm for me. This, this really has inspired me as I've, as I've prepared this week. It's one of those wisdom psalms. It's called a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph. And it, it helps us who read it, and in those days they would have sung it. It would have helped the guys who sung it as well to rest content even when unbelievers seem to be getting the upper hand. That's what the theme of the whole book, the whole psalm is. So much so it even hints that the guy wants to actually go with the wicked because he's feeling like it's so unfair. He feels like it's just not right that this should be so. But verse 1 is, an, is the amazing theme of the whole Psalm, surely God is good to all those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good to Israel. Verse 4 to 12, it goes into another section of the, the writer Asaph saying that seem, the wicked are free from trouble. They kind of, they don't face the things that we seem to face as believers. They're carefree, they have no sense of remorse, they're, they're, that, that, uh, that uh, picture I already said, their eyes swell out through their faces they're so indulged. And the heart of the arrogance is expressed in verse 11 where they say, how can God know? <laughs> That's the heart of the arrogance. It's like they're defying God that he doesn't even really know what's going on and he's got no power to do anything about it. And then verse 13 to 15, there's this kind of bitterness that creeps in as Asaph writes and he says, I, in vain I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. It's all worth nothing. 
All day long I've been stricken with rebuke, and I've been rebuked by God every morning. And then he's, he, he doesn't even want to express that thought because he says if he does, it's, it's like he's betraying those who have faith. The children of the Lord that have faith and have walked with him. And even if he voices this innermost thought, it's like he's betraying the children of faith. He doesn't want to do it. It's like he's caught by his feelings. He wants to voice something that's in his heart, but he doesn't really want to because he knows it betrays the generations of God's children. And then verse 16. I love this. Where do we find answers? Where do we find revelation? In the presence of God. That's what he says. He said, all the stuff just confusing me. And then I went to the place where people worship God. I went into the sanctuary with all of God's children and God brought revelation to me immediately and I saw it clearly. And the end was this, that in the end the wicked will receive punishment and the righteous will receive reward. And in a moment, I understood it completely. Isn't that beautiful? I love coming to meet with God's people. In His presence there is fullness of joy. When you walk into a a meeting, a community of believers, something happens in your heart and all the other stuff fades away. Isn't that what I used to sing in Sunday school? I'm sure you did. Turn your eyes on Jesus. And all the earthly things will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. When you see Christ exalted, everything else is just a vague vague or facsimile thereof. It's a photocopy, man. It's not the real thing. (laughs) I'm so happy to be preaching this morning. This declaration in verse 23. I mean, all of us can identify with the sentiments of what Asaph is writing here. When you you look at the world, it's just uh, all of us can identify that. I, I trust that all of us then can respond like he does in verse 23. And we can have that same response in our hearts saying, Nevertheless... God is with me and he holds me by my hand. I mean, that's the appropriate response. In the midst of all that we see around us, God is with me, he has me by my right hand and he leads me. What does that mean? That is a brilliant statement of faith. In all that he's been confessing, of all that he sees around him, he knows he's saved. He knows he's accepted. And he knows the blessing of God's presence with him continually every moment of every day. He knows it. He fully understands his lostness. He fully understands his sin. He fully understands apart from God he can do nothing. But there's this glorious statement of faith in verse 23. Just like in Jonah chapter 2. Remember we talked about it? Salvation belongs to our God. He has that same revelation in the presence of God. And he simply says, yes, God, you have me by your right hand. And he understands it by revelation in a moment. All of us have to have those moments. We just know in our knower that God has us. Such peace when you know that. For us, all the other stuff batters you all the time. But when you know that God has you in the palm of his hand and he's holding on to you and he's not letting you go, freedom comes. Amen. So can I just maybe try and describe a little bit what that means practically for you and I, that God has us by his right hand. I want to say it means this. We are continually on his mind. You were always on my mind. Who sang that song? Uh, Willie Nelson. One of those famous country and western songs. Well, you are always on God's mind. Always. What does that mean? He's always thinking of you. He's always thinking of your best interests all the time. Yours, not the person next door to you. 
yours. Is that okay? He's always thinking of your best interest. He has your best interest on his mind continually. God is thinking favorable thoughts over you constantly. That should encourage you. Secondly, what does it mean? We are continually the focus of his attention, the focus of his gaze. The word says that the eye of the Lord never slumbers and never sleeps. He's perpetually watching over your welfare. Isn't that beautiful? Always looking over your welfare. With best, the best possible thoughts are always toward you and me. It means, thirdly, that we are continually in his hand. That means nothing can remove you from his grasp. Romans chapter 8, there's neither angel nor demon. There's nothing on this earth or under the earth can remove us from the love of God. Amen? Let that revelation come and be rooted in your heart this morning. Fourthly, we are continually on his heart. You know the priests in the old, under the old covenant, they, would, they had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written on their uh, whatever it was called, and it was over their heart, their priestly garment. It's like the same with God. We are continually the subject of his heart. He's holding us there, always in his heart. He's always thinking of us. His love is always yearning for us. We are a signet ring on his hand. The scripture says his love is as strong as death. The scripture says many waters cannot quench his love. Nothing can flood or drown his love for us. Isn't that an amazing picture of the love of God? He has us in his heart. What I'm talking about really is the surprising grace of God, isn't it? That's what I'm talking about. Why? Because God sees Christ in us. And though our sins are red as scarlet, the word says, we are washed as white as snow. And we no longer have old garments on. We have Christ's garments of righteousness upon us. We are washed in his blood. And therefore, we are accepted in his presence constantly. That's why I said just now that his favor is on you all the time. You don't meander in and out of the favor of God. The favor of God is always upon you because Jesus has done all that we need. And because of what Jesus has done, the favor of God is continually over your life. He is always smiling over you. In the good times and the bad times, he is always smiling over you. Now, Ozzy can say amen because he's been trusting for a job for four months and he got one. So he can say amen. Can anyone else say amen? Amen. God is always for us. His favor is always upon us. He's always got us by his right hand. And the world would have us look to ourselves to find solutions for so many things that we face daily. The world would just say, you find the solution. I want to say to you, the solution is in Christ. Let us fix our eye on him. Let us fix our gaze on him. He has, he has found us. We are on his mind. We are in his gaze. We are in his hands. We are in his heart. And God wants us to look to him, to Christ, for everything. In life, in death, in sickness, in health, in riches, in poverty. Blessing, times of blessing, times of hardship. All those are ways that God helps us to turn our eyes to him and focus on him and take our eyes away from ourselves and our own sense of inadequacy, whatever it is, and put our eyes firmly on him. That's what he wants to do. I love John 17, verse 3. It says this, And this is eternal life that you may know the one and only God and Jesus Christ whom, you, whom he has sent. 
That's eternal life, that we know God and we know his son. So let us be those that fix our gaze on Jesus. Let us be those that fix our gaze on the cross. Let us be those that give our finest time and energy this year to devoting ourselves to knowing Christ better. That's, that's a good ambition. That's a good way to use your time. Why does that need to be said? Well, because I believe Christ is all that we need for life and godliness. That's it. The fullness of everything we need, we have in Christ. And if we can just understand that, it will be a key to unlock something of our future and our destiny as a church. And I want to have, this is a a little confession to you, because some of these things that I'm going to say to you now have only become revelations to me in the last couple of years. But who wants to be prosperous? Oh, I want to be prosperous. I've had much and I've had little, and it's better to have more. Absolutely. It's better to have more. You can bless more. You can give more away when you have more. Let's pray for prosperity for every single family in this church. But I want to say this to you. The key to prosperity is Christ. The key to prosperity is not faith formula. It's not if you do this and you follow these kind of rules of faith, then God is somehow going to bless you. No, the rule is that you simply put all your eggs in Christ's basket. Why? Psalm 16 verse 5 says this, Lord, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup, and my lot is secure. That's it. Some of you are good at making money. Just just remember this, that the scripture says, even the ability to make wealth comes to you as a gift from God. And that's why God says, if you've got that gift, if you can make money, be generous with the money that you have and share with those that don't have so much. Am I shouting? (laughs) The key to prosperity is Christ. The key to leadership is Christ. This is a confession, not leadership training. I've done so much leadership training. I've trained leaders till it comes out of my ears. I've been all over the world, literally, training leaders. No, no, no. The key to leadership is Christ. Why? Follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow 25 principles of leadership. Some of them are good. But follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example. Where's that? 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Am I Jesus? No, I'm not. Are you Jesus? No, you're not. But you are a picture of Jesus to your wife, to your kids. And what God is doing in you should be transforming you to become more and more like Jesus. Is that okay? Because that's true. Thirdly, The key to miracles is Jesus. Not atmosphere. Not the right music. Not going to the right meeting so that the miracles can happen. No, the key to miracles is Christ. Galatians 3 verse 2 says, I would like to learn just one thing from you, Paul writes to the Galatian church. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, by doing stuff, or by believing, by believing what you heard? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles amongst you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? I want to say this. We need to be a little bit more enthusiastic about some of the miracles that we see in this community. I think we've defaulted because we want to be, not be seen as being arrogant. And when we see miracles and we see people healed, we, we're slow to give testimony. Ah, next year, this year, we're going to give testimony. We're going to say what God is doing. 
We're going to boast in the goodness of God, not in our goodness, but in His righteousness. Not in anything that we do, but in Him. How many of you want a strong marriage? I do. Can I just say this to you? (laughs) You know what I'm going to say? The key to a healthy marriage is Jesus. Not marriage seminars. I I said it's a confession. I've done dozens, (laughs) dozens of marriage seminars. You follow as a husband these 10 principles. And you as a wife observe these 10 principles and your marriage will be red hot. Well, I want to just say to you, husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church. You want to have a red hot marriage? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. It is the, it is, everything is rooted in Jesus. And sometimes the principles are helpful, but let's fall passionately in love with Jesus. Wives, you want a, a husband that loves you passionately? Encourage him to fall in love with Jesus. Same, vice versa. Wife, what did I say? Oh, yeah, we know, the other way around. I want our kids to grow up in a home that is absolutely robust and strong. I don't mind if my kids see me fight with my wife. I don't. I don't try not to fight in front of them. But if there's something about when Christ is in us, they're going to see that. They're going to see that mom and dad can actually say sorry to each other. Hey, boys. <laughs> it's good. I don't go for the thing we never fight. If you never fight in your marriage, this you, one of you is dead, or both. <laughs> Number five, the key to church planting <laughs> is Jesus. <laughs> Not the right team. The key to church planting is Jesus, is Christ. Not the right team. Not the right. Prayer, technique. Those that go and plant churches, we've had the privilege of sending three people to plant churches. They have to have faith for their own church plant. They have to find Christ for their situation. We can help and encourage, but the faith ultimately to plant that church is rooted in Jesus. Not in me, not in us helping. We want to help, but actually it's rooted in Christ. Why? Well, Acts eleven twenty. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, and news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas, and they sent him to Antioch. Oh, that's how they planted. They, they loved Jesus. They started speaking about Jesus. They gossiped about Jesus. That's the only time that gossip is good, when it's about Jesus. They gossiped about Jesus, and what happened? People got saved, and a church was birthed. That's it. Rooted in Christ. Number six. The key to persevering in hard times is Jesus. Not psychology. Not techniques, not success techniques. Ten steps to being a successful man, a better leader. Those bookshelves are full of that stuff. (laughs) No, we don't fix our eyes on that. What does Hebrews 12, 2 say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider 
Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't want to lose heart? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the stock market. Don't fix your eyes on your job. Jobs come and go. The stock market goes up and down. Jesus is always there. Eternal, steadfast, true. Same yesterday, today, forever. The key to our rewards. How many of you believe that there are rewards for you in heaven? And there are rewards for you on earth? Yes, there are. It's got nothing to do with salvation, but we will see some rewards for what we've given ourselves to. The scripture says that. We don't focus on those. The key to rewards is Christ. Why? Because Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming him like in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul says. Our rewards on earth and in heaven are, have their, their root in Jesus. Nothing else. I'm landing this now. I've got t- ten. Point number eight. The key to understanding the Scripture <laughs> you are, it's been, it's, we're getting it now, it's good. It's Jesus, not the internet, not the latest podcast. I download many podcasts and I love listening to them. But the key is not in that. The key is in Jesus and a growing revelation of Jesus in the scripture to you. That is the key. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind of the Lord Jesus that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Good. I know this is good. <laughs> it is. It's very good. Number nine. The key to unity is? Jesus. Yeah, the key to unity is Jesus. Petri wrote me a great email this week. It's not an insisting that we are being unified. We can't insist that we are unified. What unifies us? Christ unifies us. When we have a revelation of Him, it draws all disparate people together from every tribe, people, group, and nation. They can look beyond their differences, and in Christ they are one. That's the key to unity, Jesus. It's very hard to fight with people when you are in love with Jesus. Because when you're in love with Jesus, you're in love, automatically people, you look past the fences. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's the key to holiness? Point number 10. The key to holiness is Jesus. How to live a righteous life. Jesus, not principles for holy living. Some of those are good, helpful, but the key is Jesus. Colossians 1.22, now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Lastly, the key to our inheritance is, why? Because he is our inheritance. He is the sum total of our inheritance. Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold me in your right hand. I pray. As we, some of us are on holiday, as from today, <laughs> some of you have been on holiday, some of you are still going to go on holiday. When you come back in the new year, I trust that that would be rooted in your heart, eh? 
that God has you by the right hand, no matter what this year holds. So for some of us, it's going to be extravagantly wonderful. So for some of us, it might be difficult. We're going to walk through some highs, some lows, some valleys. You know what? God has us by His right hand. We're in His heart. We're in His gaze. We're in His mind. He loves us. His thoughts of generosity and goodness are always towards you and I. His favor is always upon us. You can't walk out of the favor of God when you leave this place because Jesus' favor is smiling upon you all the time because of what he has done. And what he has done makes us completely acceptable to God. Amen? We're going to stand and just worship a little more together. Is that all right? And then we're going to have some coffee. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I bless you now, Lord, that as we sing and we respond and we worship, I pray you'd seal these things in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are so good to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.